you can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined as always by Adam Belmar. So great to have you back in the driver's seat, Michaela. Well, it is great to be back, Adam, although I'm not going to lie, it was very hard to come back. But kudos to you on a just a job well done carrying the Facts About PACs podcast torch. And I must say, I love the episodes with you and Amy Adams and David Shields so much that guess what? They're both back with us today. You are wise. Amy and David are, as we like to say, notable nap packers. And I'm proud to say certified 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Best rating I've had all week. Rolling Stone called us the Simon and Garfunkel of campaign finance reform (laughs) podcasting. Those are good analogies. Well, you know, summer is over and it is back to the grind. To be frank, I don't know what normal looks like anymore, but I do know this. The world of politics is revving up again. And this moment in early September is a crucial one for our listeners in 2021. Pack managers, this episode is for you. Coming up, we'll break down the top five questions everybody should be asking right now. Seeing around corners isn't magic, it's experience. Adam, that's so true. And that's really what NAPAC is all about, sharing experiences and achieving the mission. Truth. Truth. Absolutely. So, Mr. Belmar, if you please. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is brought to you by Access Marketing Services. From design to podcasts, from infographics to digital, work with a team that leading PACs and government affairs programs call when they need results. Access Marketing Services. Thank you, Access Marketing Services, as always, for your support of NAPAC. And also just want to kick off the show today by thanking both you, Amy Adams, president of Dunn Associates, and of course, the NAPAC help hotline legend, and David Schild, founder and managing partner at Three River Strategies. You both really brought your A-game in episodes 52 and 53. It was fun to listen from across the pond, if you will, and really appreciate all of your insights. So today, I want to plant a flag for every everyone in our community. This is one of those annual crucial moments in our industry. And as usual, there are many things going on all at once. So let's just jump right into it and what our listeners need to know right now. Amy, you know, not having the answers to every question is okay, but knowing what questions need to be asked of whom and when is a must. PAC boards play such an important role. 2021, as we know, has been another atypical year for many reasons, from January 6th to the Delta surge to the spike in agenda journalism. PAC managers benefit when they harness input from the leaders that surround them. And so in this realm specifically, what questions do PAC managers need to be asking for input and consideration on right now? One of the first things that I'm thinking about right now and looking at is PACs are going to continue to be in the spotlight and the crosshairs of the press is what relationships am I developing internally to make sure that I can handle any potential crisis that is coming my way in terms of the pack? You may feel like you are too small of a pack, that you're not going to be the target of the press. You may feel that your issue area hasn't been one that somebody's been looking at. 
But now is the time you don't prepare for a crisis. Once the crisis has happened, you do, you have to do it beforehand. It's time to look around and say, what do I need to have in place? What relationships do I need to have in place internally? What expectations do I need to set internally with my leadership, with my communications department, with my investor relations, looking at those to make sure that we are ready when the next crisis hits our pack. Amy, that I I think to setting the expectations is a critical piece of this. And David, you bring such unique perspective, having been a pack manager, moving into the comm space. And so maybe just as we think about the press, as Amy touched on, really knowing what your organization's headline, what you want that headline to be, how do you deal with the journalists and questions that might be coming up? What is your take here? One thing that is so important is, and I'm biased, right? Because I come out of the radars business is to have your radar on. You do not want to find out what's being said about you from somebody in your organization who walks in and says, you know, we've got a big problem here. You absolutely want to have that radar on. And what I mean by that is you should already have these media monitoring watch lists set up. You should be following the folks who talk about campaign finance on Twitter, your allies and your adversaries. You should have plenty of watch lists set up, plenty of keywords inputted that say, if anyone is speaking about my organization, about our involvement in the political process, I'm going to know about it first. I'm getting a daily digest of what's being said because you need to be the weatherman for what's happening in terms of politics, money in politics, the role of corporations and associations. You need to be watching. You need to have your radar on. Do not be surprised by the news. 100%. I was a journalist in Washington, D.C. for many years, running the Washington Bureau of Good Morning America at ABC News, the Sunday show. I have to tell you, no matter what side of this battle for news and understanding intelligence that you're on, the radar has to be on. And you know what? If you're a pack manager and you don't have access to all the tools that you need, you might be surprised to find out that somebody sitting in another desk somewhere in the same Washington office has access to those tools. Media monitoring, is critical for Corpcoms, but it's now increasingly important for you to have a feed of that spigot or to just drink from that fire hose if that's what you're capable of doing. Because there are a lot of things that you just don't want to respond to. But if you start looking and you see it for the very first time, you might think that insanity is going to ensue if we don't respond, when in fact, that might be exactly what you don't want to do. Absolutely. And this is a good time, too, to remind our listeners who are NABPAC members that we are keeping an ongoing list of all of the articles that have to do with the business pack world and the attention that's being paid to them in the media. And it's on the NABPAC Clearinghouse. So take a look for that as yet another resource. Michaela Isler, you are often one of the first calls that people will make in our industry at almost every level when folks think, okay, we are under attack or we've suddenly discovered some kind of targeted digital attack ads that are being put out there, maybe even by a sort of leaderless group of non-consumers. How do you counsel folks when you take those calls about not getting drawn into the fight or being prepared to do just that? Well, obviously, our member organizations have to make decisions on how they're going to respond to the media that's best for their organizations. And so we really are in the business of being a convener, providing best practices, providing the resources. But I would say, I think Amy brought up a good point. I think we need to, at least if you're not having these conversations and answering these questions internally, is is you almost have to have two plans 
plans of attack? Is it is what's your plan of attack with the mainstream media, which mainstream media? And also, what is our plan of attack on the social media front? They're very two different beasts, if you will. And I don't think that there's a one size fits all, even in one organization for handling both of those types of, of sort of media outreach. So the best thing that I can say is that you want to be prepared. As David said at the outset, you don't want to be managing through a crisis in the middle of the crisis. And we can't emphasize that enough. So making sure you know exactly who your spokespeople are going to be, what the message is, that you have buy-in from all of the internal stakeholders, you're communicating with your PAC boards, your donors. I think those are all things that you need to be doing now. And as Amy said, you don't know what's coming around the bend if you're going to be the attack either from an industry perspective or as an organization. You just hit on a piece too that is critically important. And I I would like to pull out as a question separately so that it is so that people are considering it is what kind of communication am I doing with not only my members, but my entire eligible class? The temptation is when things are going crazy is to just shut down and put up the hurricane shutters and just hunker down. And honestly, this is the time when we need to be communicating even more. So my question that I'm asking is how often are we talking to folks? What kind of information? are we giving them? Are we educating them appropriately? Are we telling them where we're coming from? What our choices have been? Are we being authentic? Are we being transparent? Because all of that goes to the kind of trust level that you build up with your own internal audiences. And that will take you far when something potentially comes up. Even if nothing ever does come up, it takes you far when you go to ask them to join the pack later. So David Schild, you're sitting in the pack manager's chair and for whatever reason, your cadence has really slowed down in 21. You're lagging from 20 and that's understandable, but you're asking yourself this critical question. How often am I talking to my members? Help us through that. And what do you need to be saying? It's got to be a pretty good mix of communication to keep this a fresh relationship. You know, it's been said before on this podcast, and I would repeat it now. You should be the source of political information writ large for your organization. It's great to talk about what your PAC is doing. There should be an operational tempo that allows you to talk pretty regularly about how we're evaluating candidates. Here's a profile on some of the candidates that we've given to. Here's a look at our PAC board. Here are the upcoming events, right? There's all the operational stuff you can talk about. But beyond that, why aren't you doing a one-on-one session on what was Citizens United? Why aren't you doing, here are the five bills that we're watching right now? It's a competitive marketplace of information. If people are not going to get factual information about the political process, what's going on in the Hill, what's going on in the Supreme Court from you, they're going to get it from alternative sources. Those sources have biases. They have motivations. They're not yours. And so I would think very carefully about am I thought of is the PAC thought of as the source of political information for the members? And you can you can answer that question in the affirmative. And it it will prompt you to generate the kinds of content that we're talking about. David, you know, we've talked a lot about this year. You know, many of our member organizations have dipped their toes out and started soliciting. Others are just doing sort of a communications campaign, which I think is, you know, if you're not going to be asking for money and there are many reasons why you may not be right now, there's so many other ways to communicate, to keep the momentum, like you said, to be the source of information. I think a big one is just really taking the time to say thank you. And I know that's something that you're, you know, really big on. So, you know, maybe that's one of the next questions we need to have our members be thinking about is when is the last time I actually said thank you to our donors, to our leadership for supporting this mission, to all the folks that are engaged. That's absolutely right. The default attitude has to be gratitude. You absolutely have to 
say to yourself, these folks are taking in challenging times for everybody after tax dollars and they're entrusting it to me. I need to be a good steward of that money, but that's a big deal, right? There's a reason that we say 15, 20, 25% is best in class participation because most people are disinclined to participate in this process through this method, right? We know that. So when folks choose to give, and these are often the most politically astute, interested, active people in your organization, you need to say thank you often uh, and with sincerity. I'd like to brag on David Schild for just a moment. I have a drawer where I keep thank you notes that I receive and a number of the handwritten thank you notes that I have received over my career have come from David Schild and a few other people within the PAC community who are fantastic at this. And it means something when I get a nice handwritten note that just says, thank you. It stands out to me. And if it stands out to me, imagine what something like that will do to stand out to your colleagues. Well, thank you, Amy. All the credit goes to my mom. And uh, <laughs> that's probably a good rule of thumb when you're operating an organization organization is, you know, would my mom approve of this? What would she say if she was looking over my shoulder right now? You know, this audience who tunes in faithfully to the number one pack podcast in America, because this is where you get the stuff that you want to be thinking about when you're on the elliptical machine or you're out walking the dog or just driving in the car and you have a minute to say, what am I going to do to help myself? I'm growing my pack. What am I doing to grow as a pack manager? This is one of those crucial questions that I think is very worthy at this moment. We're talking about the enterprise. We're talking about the priorities. We're talking about education, but pack managers stay in this job and grow their reputations incredibly well. We spent some time while you were away, Michaela, as I know you heard on 52 and 53 talking about professional development, but let me turn to David Schild right away and just say, trying something new in your pack is as important as thinking about something new and learning something new as a manager. Yeah, absolutely. The saying is when all else fails, fresh tactics. And I really think that You've got to be using organizations like NAPPAC, for example, to benchmark yourself and to sort of use this open source that we all have and participate in to go look for the best ideas. I will shamelessly flatter people by stealing their tactics. And I think that that's something that we can all think about because somebody out there has the next great solicitation technique, the next great appreciation technique. And it's definitely going to be something where you kind of need to be constantly asking yourself, what am I doing? Is there a way I can refresh this tactic? That's your job as a fundraising, as a compliance, as a membership professional. David, it's not stealing, it's modeling. I've been saying that for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So one thing that we did sort of right out of the gate, Amy Adams, the beginning of the year after January 6th, we put together a three-page document on getting a feel for what your operations are in this moment. Who are you giving to? What's the breakdown? What are the data analytics? And what do I know about these candidates that I'm contributing to? So let's just talk a little bit about that document because I think that's sort of a fluid exercise for pack managers to be working on right now that it's not something you do one and done, right? Like you need to constantly be looking at who you're giving to and why, matching that up against your contribution criteria. Again, going back to communications and talking with your pack boards, getting buy-in from your donors. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I think that some folks who are probably listening who look at their contribution criteria annually, this isn't just a one time or that or looking at it at the end of every cycle and saying, did the folks that we give to make sense and who did and who didn't and why? And what does that mean to how we give going forward? 
Well, this is really critical what Amy is talking about. And I say this again with my former journalist hat on. Journalists are talking to lawmakers every single day. Now, they may know well what their position is or expected talking point is. But do you think they have the opportunity, if not the wherewithal, to take a look and see what the fundraising posture of that politician is that day or what they posted on social media? Sometimes there's dissonance between what gets said on the floor or in the hallways of Congress and the posture that voters back home and in people in that district are seeing. And you know what? That dissonance is as much news for them and their stakeholders as it is for you as a PAC manager. Yeah. And I think that just in this past week, we see now with the Texas abortion ban bills and the increased media scrutiny around that, that it isn't just one issue. And we think, oh, okay, well, we got through that issue. We got through. There are going to be positions ascribed to your PAC based on those that you supported constantly. And a contribution that you made in 2018 now all of a sudden seems to be making a statement about something in 2021, you know, you're supposed to be held responsible for that. And so I think that this is the time to really be taking a 360 view. Adam, I think this has to be the standard. No journalist should tell you something about your organization that you don't already know yourself. You see, and Amy is exactly right here, you see a narrative come together where the combination of somebody interviewing an elected official and a five-minute search on open secrets yields a headline like, so-and-so did this, and by the way, their top donor is X. Boy, you better believe that if you're running a PAC, you need to know when you're in the poll position with any candidate. If you are, in fact, their largest contributor, that's something that you ought to have flagged. At the same time, you need to be on the lookout for inaccuracies, right? The most famous one that I think we're all subject to, that we're all subject to, is people who are aggregating contributions from employees who simply list their employer on top of your PAC dollars, right? So when somebody comes out the door and says, Acme Corporation gave a million dollars, and you think, I'm pretty familiar with the FEC limits. I don't think we can give a million bucks. It's your job to immediately internally message, hey, this is an inaccurate statement. And, you know, potentially, you know, push back with, uh, with that reporter, that organization to say, hey, you need to go a little deeper here and do your homework. That's simply not the way the law is written. And I would just add here, David, those are excellent points. As you're asking this question about how much do I know about the candidates I'm contributing to, you've got to make sure that you're looking at if you're giving at the state level, particularly if you're giving to a large number of state candidates. I know it's a lot more work. It's not as easy as just going to Open Secrets or FEC.gov. Be sure you know exactly who you're giving to at the state and federal level. I I think that's a big risk area that we need to be paying more attention to. These are really important questions. And Michaela, I want to invoke one of the great NAB Packers, Carol Laham, with this next question, because if she were here today and she's always available on the other end of the NAB Pack legal help hotline, she's going to want you to know when was the last time you did an audit. This is important function and it does really make a difference, Michaela, right? Absolutely. I, from my beginning in running PACs, you know, as much as folks kind of looked at me like I was crazy, you, you really want to have an audit internally and maybe even every three or five years consider hiring an outside firm to come in and do an external audit. I just think it's sound best practice. I think this is something that gives you a lot of credibility, builds up trust internally. And so really thinking through not only when was my last audit, but what is our plan going forward? Are we doing it annually? Are we doing it every couple of years? And it's just good. It's a good way for you to make sure that all of your processes and systems are sound. I was thinking about this earlier this week as I was sitting in the dental chair, because having an audit done is a lot like getting your teeth scraped. 
You need to do it regularly. It's unpleasant, but it will benefit you in the long run. That is the way that you have to think about audits. That's absolutely part of your internal processes. Okay. Admittedly, I don't think about pack audits when I'm in the dental chair, but that's because my dentist plays HGTV on a TV in front of me. But I will say that if you're um, a pack manager coming into a new job and you, or you know starting with a new pack, that's one of the first things I'd be asking for too, because as we've talked about professional development in the last couple of weeks, it really does help create a baseline and a set of expectations. So you can say, okay, here's where I started. Here's what I'm entering into, you know, and you get a better sense too of what it is that you have in front of you and the job, the job before you. Um, so just sort of saying that as professional development thought, get an audit right away so that you know where you have to go and what your benchmark is. I can tell you that when I underwent audits uh, in my former life as a, as a PAC director, you know, those got kicked out to the board of directors. Generally, any internal audit went up to the audit committee as, as just part of good governance. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to your members, to your PAC board, to your leadership, hey, we take a hard look at ourselves. We scrub the books semi-annually, annually, whatever it might be, because that's just another way to establish that you are running a small business and you're doing so professionally. Pointing out that you're being audited is a good thing. Well, this is certainly the right conversation at the right time. We've uh, posed some, I think, critical questions for our members. Today, we've talked about how are you dealing with journalists and the questions that might be coming from that, asking yourself, are we under attack? And what do we do if we are? How often am I talking to my members? And when was the last time I said thank you? How much do you know about the candidates that you're contributing to? What am I planning to learn today, this week, this quarter, this year? And when was my last audit? So if you have other important questions that need to be added to this list, let us know. Amy Adams and David Shield, thank you both for being great NAPAC supporters and most excellent podcast partners. You both certainly help make the facts about PACS podcast great. And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing the facts about PACS podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About PACS podcast.